It's another great day to talk about what happens inside the boardroom. Welcome to Board Vision, the official podcast of the NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors. On this show, we share perspectives from leading corporate directors, discuss what makes boards effective, how they can help companies face challenges today and become future ready. Think you know what it takes to serve in the boardroom? In this episode, Susan Paley, NACD Vice President of the Chapter Network, speaks with Joanna Berkey, the former Chief Information Security Officer at HP, a role she left in December. She's also a board member at Reliability First Corp and Beyond, formerly Overstock.com and Bed Bath & Beyond. They discuss the purpose of boards, how joining a board changed Berkey's perspective as a member of the C-suite, and what C-level managers aspiring to board service should know and consider. Welcome, everyone. We are really lucky to have as our guest today, Joanna Berkey, who I'm also delighted to call my friend. And I think that Joanna is an ideal, and Joanna, I'll use this word with air quotes because I know you won't love it, but an ideal expert to speak to our topic (laughs) of demystifying the boardroom. Joanna has held dual roles at the same time. So she's been concurrently a C-suite executive and also a member of boards. And so therefore, she has really been able to see from both sides of the same table, the board itself and the role that it plays, the individual board experience, and the executive experience at the same time. And also, Joanna, this is a spoiler alert, has a great story about how she landed in that boardroom. So I'll dive in with this. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm, I'm really pleased and honored to be here. We're delighted to have you. Let's start with the beginning. It, it really is on everyone's mind to find out what the pathway is to the board seat. And I'd wonder, what is the moment in your journey when you decided, yeah, director, that's what I want to do? So I had to uh, chuckle a while ago when you called me an expert, because I think it's, uh, it's hard to see oneself as an expert, really. And I never thought of being in the boardroom as something that was really achievable for me. And no real reason, just that it had never, it had never really been presented in my life or my professional career as something that was achievable. And I, I think we may talk about that a little bit later on today. I had a, a very trusted, respected colleague who mentioned it to me one day as something he thought I would bring value to. And I remember thinking, wait, me? And I was like, a CISO? Really? I mean, don't you have to be a CEO to get in the boardroom? And the idea was incredibly motivating. I, I love the idea of being able to be a, a part of and take part in the governance of a company. But I always felt like, oh, I need to do more before I'm ready or, oh, I've been working long enough or maybe one day. So that desire was there. The spark was there, but it just kind of sat for a while until I got a little boost. How fortunate that you had someone in your life to give you that boost, to give you that motivation. It sounds like a genuine piece of good luck and probably skill that you would develop that. There is, I think, a lot There's a lot of luck. There's a lot of synchronicity. There's a lot of the right people coming into our lives at the right times when we need it, I think. And, you know, Susan, you're you're one of those people in a lot of people's lives, I believe. And, you know, being able to be that person for someone else is one of those unexpected benefits of now being in the boardroom that I've uncovered. 
And I've also got me blushing. Thank you for that comment. I would say, <laughs> I would say that it's true. We'd never know, maybe until it's in our rearview mirror, who was really important in that in that path. And you mentioned your thought was, huh, isn't this only reserved for CEOs, a board seat? Which reminds me that for some time, am I right that it was mostly or largely CEOs and CFOs who landed in the boardroom? Largely so, I believe. And, you know, still, when you when you look around, you look at proxy statements, you look at, you know, the skill sets of a lot of CETA directors, there's a lot of people representing the CEO seat and the CFO seat, which makes a ton of sense. You know, these are two roles that arguably see the most, have the broadest vision within an organization and, you know, almost to a T have really valuable experience to choose from. But more and more, we're seeing a need for a bit more specialized experience to be intermixed into those roles. And, you know, when you look at conversations that are happening now across enterprises, across industries, we talk about climate, we talk about cybersecurity, we talk about digital transformation, we talk about human talent a lot. I mean, who hasn't been talking about human talent during the pandemic? So it really has brought a light to the fact that there is not only a place for, but there's a need for additional skill sets in that boardroom to add to what the CEOs and CFOs are bringing to the table. You did bring up that your position was suddenly hmm, an interesting one to bring to the board table. So can you speak a little bit more about coming from your CISO position with that great sort of investment of energy from that, I guess I'll call them loosely a mentor of yours, maybe they weren't formally so. What was your path to your first board seat? So I was, I was very fortunate, you know, as we're talking about it, I'm realizing I've had multiple people sort of urge me on through the years and not long after I had actually started at HP, it was very early in 2020, we were all in the very early stages of the pandemic. I was very fortunate to have a hiring manager who at the time was the chief transformation officer of HP. She later on went to serve as the CFO, very impressive uh, woman mentioned to me, you know, hey, I've heard about this program from NACD. It's called Accelerate. It's targeting people just like you. Are you interested? You want me to put your name forward? And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, I've just started a new job. I'm not sure I should take that on. But then thankfully, you know, I'd had that boost a couple of years prior so that it had been on my mind. And I thought, you know what, I probably shouldn't bypass any opportunity. So yes, count me in, please suggest my name. And I did join what I, I know now was one of the earlier cohorts of Accelerate students. And it was amazing. It was amazing for several reasons. One was I learned so much. And I also learned that I was closer to ready than I thought. You know, I still had that idea of, well, I haven't been a CEO yet. I'm, I'm not going to be a CFO. I don't have that background, so I must not be ready. But turns out that's not true. So when the first opportunity came around, I was still in Accelerate. I hadn't done my certification yet, but I was working on it. And I had a recruiter reach out to me, a retained recruiter for a board role. I realize now that's a relatively unusual way, honestly, um, to you know get very many board seats. A lot of them happen through relationships. But for this first one, a company called Reliability First Corporation had a retained recruiter. He found me, he reached out, 
And he was really the the third and sort of last of that trio of boosters in my path to the boardroom. Because I remember he, he described the opportunity. He described the position. I said, that sounds amazing. It sounds great. I'd love to do it. I think maybe I'm a few years away from ready. So maybe you could call me again when they're when they have someone term out. And he virtually looked at me through the telephone and said, I don't want to hear that. I think you're ready. I'm a great judge of people and we are going to get you in this interview cycle. I said, okay. That's an inspiring story. Now, you said something, first of all, about NACD Accelerate. And I promise our audience we didn't stage this as a setup for any kind of a ad about our program. But those of you who are interested can probably Google up NACD Accelerate and find out that it's a two-year program that we offer to folks who are not yet in the boardroom, but are on the verge of being boardroom ready. And it's a, a great cohort you end up with and you land yourself in the directorship certification exam from NACD. We can just kind of park that so people know what they can look for. But in your explanation, you gave a great comment that I couldn't help but jot down where you said, I was closer to ready than I had thought, which mm-hmm. I think is a great takeaway for folks who are listening, any of us to to remember. Maybe it's about boardroom, maybe it's about life. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you talked about your first board seat, and that was, as you rightly said, um, a little bit unusual that you got a call from a recruiter, because what, from what I understand from board members, it's so often as you say, relationship-based, not through recruitment firms. But that does it, it, it takes all sorts of pathways. Your other board seat that I know you're serving on now, can you speak just a little bit about that path? Because that was, as I understand it, not through a recruiter. Am I right? That is correct. It, it is a, it's a great origin story for how I got on this particular board. And I think it's also a great story because it's so representative of how it usually works out. I, you know, once I got started with Reliability First, I uncovered the fact that turns out I really, really enjoy corporate governance. It is, you know, I don't know how many children are sitting around dreaming, ooh, I want to be in corporate governance one day. But once I got exposed to it, I absolutely love it. You, you, you get to be useful to and serve in so many different ways. So I started serving Reliability First. I got more active with NACD, mostly with my local chapter, which is Texas Tri-Cities. I have to give Texas Tri-Cities a shout out. They're a great chapter. And I had the opportunity to attend conferences, to go to events, occasionally to speak at or be part of the events. And one that came up through NACD is what I believe now one of the greatest conferences that happens every year. And it's a DNO summit in Park City, Utah every year. It is a great conference. It focuses on a variety of strategic issues. The first year I went, I sat in on a panel of CEOs who were talking about social responsibility and the CEO's role. Now, this was in late 22. So CEOs and companies had had a while to process the murder of George Floyd, to process the changes that the pandemic brought, to process a lot of what happened during that period. And I thought this is going to be a great panel. One of the CEOs on there is a gentleman named Jonathan Johnson, who at the time was the CEO for Overstock. And I really wanted to hear what what he had to say from various events and, and history that that company had been through. The next day, turns out he wanted to sit in on a panel I was on, came up and introduced himself after, led to a great friendship, a friendship that's still ongoing. And through that networking and through that friendship, 
came up the opportunity that I might be a good fit for the Overstock board. And sure enough, I, I met several other directors. I really felt an affinity for the company, for the other directors, for the mission. And even though at the time I had been going through the interview cycle with another public company, I really hoped Overstock would give me the call and offer me the seat because it just it felt harmonious. It felt like the right place to be. And all because of starting a little train of going to conferences and networking and making relationships, it led to an amazing board seat. Mm. We could do a whole separate podcast on what's happened with Overstock and your service there for the past year, but we'll reserve that for another time. Um, I remember actually being in that room in Utah when you and Jonathan were speaking, and it is a testament to some people get a little freaked out by the word networking. It really is just connecting and having those genuine conversations. And I sort of had the privilege of watching that unfold. So I think it's a mm -hmm. great story. Yeah. Let me get us back to the conversation around this demystifying notion and talk about what you've seen in your overlapping roles. So my question is, as an executive, what was your relationship with the board like before you sat in the boardroom just from the C-suite? I really can see two completely different mindsets in my career about working with the boardroom, being in front of the board from before I started serving myself and then after I, I became a director to serve a company. And on on both sides of that pivot point, there's always been a very healthy respect for the for the people at the table. These are very smart people. They've earned their seat there. They, they're bringing a lot of value from their experience. But before I actually started serving as a director, I had, and what I think is a tempting way to think for a lot of people, especially maybe when they're a little earlier in their career, I thought of them really in only two ways. Number one, I thought of the board as the ultimate boss. You know, well, they're the ones who absolutely make the call on everything. And the other way I thought of them was I only thought of them through my own lens. Like, why and how do these people exist in relationship to me and my job? After I started to serve myself and I learned a lot more, those two key pieces of the mindset change. Number one, the board is not there to micromanage the C-suite. They are not there to make the call on every decision. They are not there to be the ultimate arbiter. They are oversight and governance. And you know what that means is a variety of things for every different company. There's no single recipe. But this idea I had that they were just, you know, the one behind the curtains, not exactly representative of reality. The other thing about my mindset that changed was these are people that are there with their own mission. They have the duty of care. They have the duty of loyalty. They're there with their own questions, their own thoughts, their own incentives. And, you know, beforehand, when I was just thinking about them in relationship to me and my role, that was very limiting on me. And I started to really see more ways to unlock the value they were bringing to the table when I started to think more about what they needed and wanted. Mm. So interesting. I've heard directors say comments with lovely respect and kindness, please don't read us 
the board book. Don't read the bullets <laughs> of your slide. How, to, we read the, the, the slide already. What To what extent have you caught yourself or stopped yourself from going into that mode as an executive now that you ex- experience the other side on the board table? That was such a beneficial sea change to to actually go through. And I think it, it probably took me one meeting cycle to realize, oh, this is how they feel. They've read that board book. They're sitting here at the table not to hear the board book regurgitated back to them. They're here to have a conversation about what they read mm. and to ask questions and to engage on, okay, we read this. Now let's talk about the so what. That was just a, a light bulb for me. Mm. Yeah, I think it almost sounds like a virtuous circle of, of good inspiring information for both sides of your role. Um, And earlier you talked about the role of the board and you got a true perception of them then, not as the big boss, but as there to make your job easier. To what extent do you think, you may know the old mantra in board world, which is NIFO, NIFO, standing (laughs) for, you know what it is, nose in, fingers (laughs) out. To what extent in today's environment is that still an appropriate guideline? Oh, that is such a great topic and a great question. I was really appreciative recently. Um, you know, I already mentioned this, the the DNO Summit in Utah that happens once a year that I think is such a great conference. I have attended again a few months ago, and it kicks off every year with a town hall panel. And this year, the focus was on the most recent report from the boardroom and specifically these topics of culture in the boardroom. And this question came up, which was, you know, we say noses in, fingers out. Is that really still a mantra that applies? And how literally should we as directors take that? Mm. I was thrilled to hear the question come up because I wanted to hear what these experts had to say. My own opinion on that has been evolving in these last three years since I started serving. And it's evolved to think that it's a good guide, but it shouldn't be taken too literally. I think the sentiment behind it, which is to remind the director that they're not an executive, they're called a non-executive director for a reason. And it's good to remember that because we're not there to second guess, to micromanage, to do the job ourselves. However, the company sometimes needs more. And you know, those, those needs can go in cycles and in waveforms. There may be a quarter where the company is undergoing a lot of drama or churn with some activists. And when that's going on, directors around the table who have experience with that, they will be providing value. They'll be fulfilling their duties of care and loyalty better if they're not shy to share what they know, maybe even dive in and help if they need to. You know, I think the key is it's not to be taken literally, but it's to be taken as a nice guide to prevent us from overstepping as directors, but not to keep us from bringing maximum value to the table. So Joanna, you mentioned in that commentary, the current thoughts about the way we can take NIFO and kind of hold it lightly as a, as a guideline. And you talked about duties of care and loyalty. Let's dig into the basics for a moment. 
Help us understand what is the purpose of a board of directors? What, what do they actually do? And then further, um, once I get your thoughts on that, I'll be curious about what is the role of an individual director in the boardroom? Mm-hmm. It is very common to hear. You hear a lot of people say the board is there to hire and fire the CEO. Like, okay, yes, that one of the primary duties of the board is to make sure the right person is running the company. I, though, I like to think of it and say the board fundamentally and absolutely is there to pay attention to value creation over the long term. There's a reason directors serve for years, generally. It's designed that way because there needs to be a counterbalance to the very understandable and natural tendency for senior executives to have a more quarter-over-quarter view of the world especially in a public company, but not limited only to publicly traded companies. The C-suite is there to execute on a set of goals that generally are more short-term in nature. And that's fine because the board is there to counterbalance that. And the board is there to pay pay attention to, are we growing, maintaining, and keeping that value over the long-term? You need both sides of that coin. And you need the board to be there and focus on important things like, is the right CEO there? Oh, now we have the chance to hire one. You know, we take this very seriously. Let's make sure we get the right person on board. And it's all about that value creation in the long term, which is not only financial, but it's how the company is set up and operating to achieve their stated mission and to meet their ongoing commitment to the stakeholders. So early in your career in the boardroom, was there something that you learned in particular that sort of surprised you? You know, I, uh, yes. And and there's probably a list of several things, but one (laughs) that always emerges when I think about that period is, you know, I think I've already mentioned that I sort of had some, I think, antiquated or mythologized ideas about the boardroom to think it's this, you know, smoke filled place from all the cigars and it's, it's only former CEOs and they, you know, they all go, get together and play golf when they're done. <laughs> and there's also, I think, a bit of this idea in that mythology of once you're new in that room, show up, be quiet, sit in the corner, learn, and eventually you can speak up and provide value. <laughs> I think maybe that used to be true. It is quite possible that a few decades ago, that is what a new member did because churn happens so rarely as well. There weren't new members all the time around the table. But especially now, we've got more churn. We've got new generations of people coming into the room. They're coming into the room for a reason, and they are expected and wanted to provide value from the beginning. You know, I think these days, if the days ever existed of showing up and taking one to two years to to understand the dynamics before you jumped in, those are gone. You know, my first board meeting with Reliability First, I had gone through my onboarding. I had received my board books. The expectation on me was just like any other director, even, you know, ones that had been there for 15 years, the expectation on us was exactly the same, which is we're prepared, we're ready to engage, we're there as equals, and we're there to provide value. 
it almost sounds to me like the training wheels have come off. Like there used to be a respectful pause in the culture of the boredom. Now it's like, bam, you hit the ground running. And to what extent do you think that's just um, indicative of the speed of business in our current environment in general? I think it's a great point because I think it exactly falls out of the pace of change and the pace of business in the world today. And, you know, we can say, let's say for argument's sake that this period did exist a decade or two ago where people could really take a long time to come up to speed around the board table. Business also was slower back then. You know, there probably wasn't as much change quarter over quarter between meetings. But now, you know, if your board is only meeting once a quarter, the amount of things that can happen in that three month period of time is massive. So I think the pace of change of business is a part of this. And I also think the why that a lot of the newer directors especially are there, you know, they're there because they've got a background in human talent or in digital technology or in cybersecurity. That board needs and wants that input sooner. They want to get benefit from that diversity of skill set and not wait too long. Yeah, I think that we look a lot in the macro at how the role of the board has evolved and really grown. In fact, NACD has done some intellectual capital production on this exact topic, which is it's not your father's board, your mother's board of yesteryear. And so I hear in your answers this idea that, no, we also want people to speak and have expertise in cyber, human resources, culture, marketing, and that shows the expanded needs and what you're being called upon in the board, in the board, yeah? Mm-hmm. Absolutely agreed. It's, I think the aperture has widened. And it's not that the boards of the past had too narrow of a filter. The nature of business has changed. You know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't talk about sustainability and climate goals in a company. Now we do. So just the, the footprint of the topics that the board needs to have expertise on, that needs to be able to weigh in on, has grown so much, I think it dictates some of this chain as well. Let's dig for a minute into the weeds of how we accomplish that. What does a typical board calendar look like? And where does that align with an executive's calendar? Mm-hmm. That's a such a pertinent area to bring up. I'm glad we're chatting about it because I think it's one, I don't know that it's one people always think about. I I know that when I got started with my board service, I didn't really know what that looked like. I mean, I knew there would be quarterly meetings and thought, okay, well, there's probably these committee meetings. I know committees exist. And that was kind of the extent of what I expected. Um, And now, you know, being in it with a couple of different companies and going through the cadence as well in the in the seated role, the way I think of this is you've got two different waveforms. You have the waveform of meeting and preparatory cadence for the C-suite and the senior execs, and you've got your waveform and your cadence for your directors. And those waveforms definitely touch. You know, they're obviously touching when there's quarterly meetings. There's they're touching to a degree for committee meetings. Um, You know, for example, you're usually going to have your CHRO there for at least part of your compensation and talent committee meeting, for example. So your waveforms definitely touch when it comes to some meetings, but they're not perfectly in sync all the time. And that's on purpose. You know, your your board directors are sometimes going to meet just as a board when there's reasons for them to do that. 
they may, especially when there's a lot of activity or a lot of churn, they may move to a monthly cadence where the execs are sometimes there and sometimes the execs aren't, but the directors have a monthly cadence for a while. In the C-suite waveform, the preparatory cycle is, of course, really big, you know, and it's not unusual that six weeks before a quarterly meeting, there's already reviews of material taking place. There's already, you know, some material getting fleshed out where we don't think it's going to change too much before the meeting. There's a lot of preparatory work that goes in there. So I think it's really nice to think of it in that way that each area has their swim lane and sort of the peak of the activity for the executives occurs a little bit ahead of the meetings where the peak of the activity for the board directors might be at a different time. And they each sort of need to plan around that. So especially if you're a seated executive and you've got a very full calendar, thinking of it that way and planning around it for your board service so that it doesn't interfere too much with your day job is a really good way to think so that you're allocating time and bandwidth for both at the right times. Mm. I was smiling at the beginning of your answer. You mentioned waveforms and I thought, oh, that's how we can tell that Joanna studied computer science in college and I was a liberal <laughs> arts gal myself. <laughs> it's not a metaphor I usually use. I love it. So you spoke a little bit to the calendar overlaps and the waveforms um, coordinating or not. And I just am curious, you know, I have heard board directors saying, oh, that board book for next week, it's hundreds of pages long. I don't know if you've ever received one of those. Especially for audit committees. Yes. (laughs) Right. So with that bedtime reading facing you on any given evening, how do you actually juggle the demands of that level of work and intense attention that you give your board role, as well as being in your executive position or anything else for that matter going on in your life, be it family or personal? Mm-hmm. It's definitely, I, I will say, board books and the preparatory material, all of which are absolutely needed. You know, it, it's absolutely required sometimes that you have all that info to hand. It's definitely something you should not plan on knocking out in the airplane on your way to the meeting, for sure. So like, that's a nice basic rule of thumb. Don't rely on your airplane trip. Um, I think this this is an important area where someone, especially who is going to have that balance for a while of being a seated exec and being on a board, you will need to work at some odd times. And, you know, there will be some Saturday mornings that you need to use or there will be evenings that you need to use. There will also be some daytime hours that you'll need to spend occasionally on your board. So, you know, if if someone is starting service and they have this idea of, well, my days are very full, but I have evening and weekends for my board. In general, that can be okay, but you're going to occasionally need some daytime hours. Earnings calls generally will happen, you know, at a time overlapping quote normal business hours and um, you know, there will be things that come up where the lines can get a little blurry and both jobs may require you to do some things in the hours that you normally wouldn't. So I think like any demanding job, board service is a demanding job and it's absolutely doable without a doubt. It's absolutely doable, but but I think it requires some clear eyes to recognizing and realizing I'm going to need to sort of shuffle a few parts of my life to accommodate this. And 
yes, this is a good time for me to do it in my life, or mm, maybe this is not the greatest time, but in two years, I'll be much more able to do it. It is a, a great and very necessary thing for aspiring and new directors to think about. Yeah. And again, I'd, I'd think that that's that, that kind of clear eyed thought process around what you have room for in your life is good for anything in our lives. Mm -hmm. in the boardroom. Um, I know that speaking of amount of energy and the calories we pour into our work, there's famously a, a sort of understanding that when a company is undergoing M&A of any sort, there is an intense period for the board members. And I know that since you joined the Overstock board, uh, we all know that Overstock became Bed Bath & Beyond in the past year. Can you comment on anything that created ripples in your life and in your schedule based on that experience? That is That has been a textbook case, and it's one that I will pull on as I work with and advise other people who are beginning their journey to say, here's what you can expect, but here's how it might go in reality. And, and be prepared for both. Hmm. Uh, I joined Overstock at, at a great time because I was able to overlap with Jonathan for a while. And something that he and the executive team had been working on was where did strategic M&A make sense for the company? Something every company should be keeping an eye on at any given time. But it was very much a, a top focus for Overstock the last few years as the company went through their own transformation and changes. So the opportunity to put a bid on the digital assets for Bed Bath & Beyond came up. It was a wonderful thing to be a part of, uh, you know, all the way from the strategic conversations with the C-suite and the board around what should we bid for, what shouldn't we, what are the price ranges we're looking for, what are the possible outcomes we'll execute on based on how this goes, wonderful, very enlightening and fun conversations to be a part of, and then to be part of it once it happened. Uh, Overstock was successful, bought the digital assets, began a rebrand, um, and you know, if you listen to some of our recent earnings calls, you'll know this is a transformation and pivot point in the company that's going to be ongoing for a while and will manifest in multiple ways in the year or two to come. So it's been an amazing time to be part of the company, but we have had, you know, uh, a lot of calls, a lot of meetings, a lot of ad hoc stuff. It's not unusual to say, oh, this just came out. We need to meet in two hours. Uh, there's been a lot of that in the last year. And, you know, I had gotten good advice from other directors to sort of expect that and to not just think, oh, this is going to be 250 hours a year and I can manage it all. No, there's going to be a degree that you can't. But as long as you're there for the right reasons and, and you know that going in, that's actually part of what makes it really fulfilling as well. Hmm. So speaking of knowing what the right reasons are and the, your, your why, can we pull the camera lens out a little bit wider and get to the question of, should the public be aware of and care about the work the boards do and the responsibilities they shoulder and why? The short answer there to me is yes, absolutely. There should be more discussion of and visibility into what boards do. And I, I think really two very different reasons, but both very important reasons. The first one is 
whether they're really aware of it or not, there's few members of the public whose financial well-being is not tied to a company or a set of companies in some way. And that, when you think about it, is a really fundamental thing that an individual as a shareholder has a vote and a voice into how companies are run. And there is a lot of information available if people really want to look. Proxy statements, earning calls, you know, media articles. If people have a certain company or cause or mission that they're very invested in, there's absolutely a lot of information to uncover that is very informative and can help people in using their vote and their voice. Now, totally different from that, a totally separate reason, but one that's also equally compelling, touches a little bit on my own story, which was for a long time in my career, I never saw myself in the boardroom. It just wasn't something I thought of. And, you know, I'd like to think that now that I'm there, I'm providing value. How many more people are out there like me who, because they don't see it, because they don't know it, they can't imagine it for themselves, but they're great executives. They know a lot. They bring a lot of value and we're just not tapping into that value because we don't talk a lot about the how and the why and the what in the boardroom. That's the second and to me even more compelling reason to talk about the hows and the what's is to open this up for that pipeline. Yeah, I think that's a discussion so many of us are engaged in. And folks who are underrepresented in the boardroom, maybe not even having, let alone a pathway, but an awareness of that. So I'm really delighted to hear you speak about increasing our understanding of it and making it more commonplace to discuss this and, and to know about it, even if you're not in business school or in a C-suite position. And this is something I like a lot about, you know, and <laughs> I can mention this because I'm, I'm not an NACD employee. I talk about the Accelerate program a lot. And I talk about it a lot because I think it really, you know, it and similar efforts bring knowledge and a lexicon to people who don't get exposed to it in the course of their job. You know, and when you think of, about people like CHROs, CIOs, CTOs, they don't have the proximity to the boardroom that the general counsel or the corporate secretary have, for example. So a forum like Accelerate where people can just learn the basics, I think that's a huge part to starting to normalize this for people, whether they end up going to the boardroom or not, it's going to make them a better executive. Yeah, I think that what I hear you saying is that you feel like it breaks down that binary, either you're in the boardroom with all that privileged information and awareness, or you're very much not in the boardroom. And here you're bridging some divide by making people more aware, and as you say, with a lexicon and a bit, a bit of basic understanding. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. So I want to jump to just a little bit of a look in the rearview mirror of the life of Joanna Verkey. So what aspects of your career do you think helped you the most in finding your first board seats when you look back at your decades of experience? You know, it's uh, obvious, to, I think, to anybody who just sort of looks at my background on paper, the fact that my whole career was in cybersecurity and that my interest in and readiness for the boardroom came at a time when, you know, it's one of probably the top three talked about things uh, globally in the business world at the moment. That absolutely was a big shot in the arm to to my 
visibility for and my value to the boardroom. Mm. But I don't, I don't think that's the only thing. I, I think my cybersecurity background opened doors for me. But, you know, one thing that got me through those doors, honestly, was having good communication skills. You can have all the knowledge and all the background and all the readiness in the world, but if you're unable to engage productively with your fellow directors and have a conversation, especially a difficult conversation, if you are not able to phrase well your questions for the senior executives, these things will hold you back and you know either hold you back from that seat or once you're in the seat, they're gonna impact the value you bring to the boardroom. So I think for anybody of any background, the ability to communicate authentically and simply with others is a non-negotiable. And when you get a table full of directors who are communicating well with each other, you're going to get great results. Mm. It's so, yes, it's so true for, again, everything that we can be subject matter experts and the top of our class and whatever topic. And if we're not in that space of authenticity and, you know, the phrase is, I think, simplify to amplify, I've heard somebody say, it sort Ooh, of like serves that. us. Right? Yeah. yeah. It serves us in so many places. I heard you using a phrase in this commentary about engage productively with people across the table. So we can do that for ourselves. We have agency, of course, to impact how we do interact and communicate. How have you handled it when you found yourself across the board table from someone who is not engaging productively, who is maybe playing by some different rules? Have you had anything that you can think of that's a challenging moment or interaction that you've been able to learn from or show up as your best or maybe not best self that you've learned from? <laughs> I am reminded a bit of an anecdote I heard. I was not in the room when this happened, but I heard one time about a director at a company who was getting very bad reviews on their annual assessment. And yes, directors do get reviewed by their peers and, and by the senior executives they work with. And this person didn't get good reviews because they would sit in board meetings and play crossword puzzles. And, you know, there is an argument to say this is how they focused their brain. And, you know, like I sit and knit when I really want to focus my brain. You can say, give this person the benefit of the doubt that they really were mentally engaged. They were just playing a crossword on the side. It still had terrible optics. And optics matter. You know, we want to give people the respect they deserve, whether they're in the boardroom to present or they're there at the table to, to participate as a director, you know, table six, number one, are, are giving people attention. And I have been in, in environments where people don't really seem to be engaged and have dealt with that. One of the ways I've dealt with it personally is to, you know, in general, maybe talk to another director to make sure it's not just me. Is there something going on here that someone else has noticed? And if so, let's have a private conversation with that person. You know, very low key, no need to make a big deal out of it and find out, you know, what's going on. But just FYI, here's how you're coming off. And I've seen that be very effective. Yes. And I think my audience could join me. We're imagining you now sitting in Austin with your microphone and a knitting project right in front of you to help your focus here. I think it's great, great information. <laughs> 
Um, but you do speak to something that's particularly dicey, that you can have a private conversation and let someone know, I'm not here to judge, but I'm here to tell you how it, how it's interpreted by other people. And maybe, maybe, maybe we can hope that opens up a candid dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard, you know, it, and I'm not saying anything that this whole audience doesn't know, whether you're in your very first role out of uni or you're an experienced leader for decades, it's hard to share things with people that might hurt them. But I got a great piece of advice when I was in my very first management role from my own manager when he said, if you don't share information with people that's going to make them better, you're doing them a disservice. And I like to think about it like that. Also have humility about it, of course. Um, but, you know, if you really do believe that what you're sharing with this person, they need in order to become their better self or their better director or their better whatever, that sort of changes. I think it, it can help take the emotion out of the conversation and really they can tell that you're coming there from a good place, which is wanting to help them. Mm, your intention behind it shines through. I feel like this is, conversation has been full of things that are useful for life, not just boardroom, but you said something intriguing there and I would love for you to say it again. The advice you got was about giving somebody feedback. Can you just say again what you were told? Sure. What my manager told me was, if you know of something that your employee, and this was in the, in the context of, of me giving input to my own employees that reported to me, he said, if you know of something that they need to know in order to become better, if you don't share that with them, you're doing them a disservice. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, Brene Brown comes to mind and I think she backs you up on this because she says something the equivalent of clear is kind, unclear yes. is not kind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it feels so counterintuitive because it feels unkind to tell someone something like, you're coming off unengaged at the table or, you know, in and end. But the reality is it's only, it only feels unkind because it's hard on us and the world isn't here for us to feel comfortable. You know, we're there at that table to try to help everyone. And sometimes that requires being uncomfortable. So Joanna, as we're beginning to wrap up our conversation, which I've just loved, thank you so much for bringing all your candor and um, honest experience here. We love it. Um, I wanted to ask you in the vein of paying it forward, there are a lot of people listening who might be aspiring to some success akin to what you've experienced. And if you can, if I can invite you to cast your mind back to a younger Joanna, maybe five years or 10 years ago, or anyone at an earlier stage in their career, what advice might you offer them? What I always think first, and what I wish I had been told more, although who knows if I really would have listened to it, is not to make yourself into something you aren't. I think especially when we think about aspiring directors and new directors and this desire to be in the boardroom, I think there's this idea of what, quote, the right director looks like. And I... I alluded in our conversation today to just some antiquated ideas I had about the boardroom before I started. <clears throat> I think if the role is right for you, then the right director looks just like you. And we all know 
how hard it is to cover up our true selves. It just takes way too much energy. And eventually your true self is going to come out anyway. So just represent from the beginning. And if it's the right company and the right role and you're a good fit for each other, you're going to hit the right outcome. And if you're not the right fit, it wasn't the right place. Hmm. Once again, you're telling us authenticity wins the day. I believe that it does. I, I really do. And I think we are increasingly working in a business world where offices and buildings and boardrooms, they're all becoming more authentic, which means communication even more important. But I think it means, too, we're, we're reaching better and better outcomes in a very complex world. Mm. So what you just shared with us was really important for us to hear, I think, about executives who might be on their way into the boardroom. For those listeners who are already seated around a board table, what might you share with them that you think they need to know about boards to have some success in that world? I think it's hard to understate how important listening is. Listening and and reading the room. And I I know, I think I may be contradicting myself a little bit because earlier I talked about, you know, you need to show up, prepare, roll up the sleeves and engage. But there's a difference in just jumping in and, and talking because you feel like you have to versus taking a little bit of time here and there to really have your ears open, to listen, to read the room. I see a lot of people and I, I think I have fallen into this trap myself especially when you're new, you want to show up and immediately show your value. You know, you, you, you so bad want to be successful and you so bad want to show these people that they did well to pick you mm-hmm. that you can sometimes get ahead of yourself. And I, I think it's good to have a reminder sometimes that says, you know, they know you have value because they picked you. So show up prepared, show up ready, but don't be shy to read the room a bit and pick up on those dynamics, pick up on some of the unsaid ways of working and talking and engaging, you know, very, very small detail here, but an important one. Do your fellow directors use the raise a hand button on a virtual meeting or do they just pipe up? I've seen both. Neither one's right or wrong, but you should probably do what the norm is in that room. And that's just an example in a very small way of reading the room so that you are better integrated into that boardroom. Hmm. Well, I think I can read the room here in the audience in our universe to say that we've gotten a lot from this conversation. And once again, I can't thank you enough, Joanna, for being with us today. Um, Really a delight. So thanks. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. I love these questions and I'm looking forward to continuing to follow this podcast myself. Thank you so much. That concludes this episode of Board Vision. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please subscribe and join us next time. Until then, visit nacdonline.org to stay informed about the latest resources NACD has to offer, such as memberships, certification, national or chapter events, and our content, including reports, articles, and directorship magazine. That's nacdonline.org. Thank you for listening.